We're going to talk today about what you should know about baptism. On December 26, 2003, an earthquake measuring 7.45 on the Richter scale uh, devastated the Kerman province in southeastern Iran because everything that he owned was destroy a young man that is called M and his he's only given the, this name M because he's from a country that he does not want to be identified with uh, f- does not want to be identified uh, M fled to Afghanistan to live with his relatives there he was married and had a daughter though his life was stabilized for a time there was still this deep nagging question in his life uh, why do what do bad things happen to anybody, whether good people or not? Why do bad things happen? He and his family were Muslim, and he could not find answers, so, uh, and he was left in despair. To search for answers, M left his family behind and went to Athens, Greece, where he stayed with more relatives. Athens is a city on the refugee highway where people who are escaping to freedom... Uh, can find safe haven. There's a major refugee center there. Uh, In Athens, M became interested in Christianity. Um, M was given a Bible, so he started reading it. But he had to read it uh, late at night after everybody in the house had gone to bed, after his relatives were in bed, and he, he read it under the covers with a flashlight. And he did that for two years before Christianity began to make sense to him about who Jesus Christ is and that Jesus died on the cross for him. In his study of the scriptures, M placed his faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. M contacted the refugee center where he he could gather with other followers of Jesus Christ. And um, on May 7th, 2006, M planned to be baptized as a follower of Jesus at a church meeting with other Iranian believers. He set his alarm for 6 a.m. on May 7th, and his uh, cousin found out that um, M planned to be baptized, and this made his cousin irate. So before M got up at 6 a.m., his cousin boiled water on the stove and poured boiling water all over M while he was in bed, and he received some severe burns on the front of his body. M went to baptism on time. Standing before his church family with blistered flesh, M declared, no matter what they do to me, I love Jesus. After his baptism, he said he felt like standing in the streets of Athens at the city center and proclaiming, I belong to Jesus. Now, that is an illustration of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Today, I want to talk about baptism. I want to explain it from a biblical perspective what the Bible teaches about baptism. When people want to be baptized... Um, 
they get a chance to talk through these issues, and, and I try to explain them to the best of my ability. Um, but you know what? There is a lot of confusion about baptism today. A lot of confusion. You know, do we baptize infants? I was baptized as an infant because my parents um, wanted to do the right thing. They, they felt like they should. They felt guilty. They felt like they needed to do it, to do the right thing. Uh, some people baptize infants. Some people baptize by sprinkling some churches. Some churches baptize by immersion. Some t- churches baptize believers, and then there's quite a few in between. So there is a lot of confusion today. Now, when you think about it, go back to the first century. There was no confusion about baptism. They only did what they learned from the apostles. That's what they practiced. If there was a church in town, there wasn't 200 churches in town. There was one. If you went to a city and the first century, there was just kind of like one way to handle this whole thing about baptism. But today, it's quite complicated. And uh, so I want to address that this, this morning. So what should we know about baptism? First of all, baptism is commanded by Jesus Christ. Baptism is commanded by Jesus Christ. And allow me just to read um, the passage we're going to look at. And it's going to be on the screen in a minute. But right this second, I just want to read it to you. Matthew 28. I'm going to start with verse 16. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. This is Jesus giving final instructions. Soon he will be ascended into heaven. He's going to leave everybody behind. And, you know, they could ask Jesus any question they wanted while he was there, but he's going to be gone, and, and they're going to be left with these instructions. Here we go. Then the 11 disciples, because Judas had already betrayed, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He said, God, I want you to go there and meet me, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, the resurrected Christ, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we're going to break that down. First of all, the role of the church is to make disciples. The role of the church is to make disciples. In English, make disciples is two words. In Greek, it's just one, and it's a verb. So make is the only verb in make disciples, but in the Greek language... One word, and it's what the mission is all about. Now, in this whole passage, there is one main verb. There are four verbal forms. One is go, or as you go, when you go, baptizing, teaching. The main verb is make disciples. All these other verbal forms modify the main verb. That's really important to understand. The role of the church is to make disciples. This is the mission of every church. These are the instructions given for everyone who claims to be a church. Make disciples. So it's go, has the force of a command. As you go, when you go, since you are going, whenever you go, here's what you do, make disciples. So making disciples uh, is, first of all, about evangelism. um, Sharing the good news that Christ died for our sins. Make disciples disciples sharing the good news that christ died for our sins that message 
It's helping people understand what Jesus did for them. It's helping them understand that the way to respond to what God has done for you is by trusting Jesus and what he did on the cross and trusting him alone and nothing else, okay? Evangelism. Uh, The way we say it at the bridge is we're helping people connect with God. We want them to spiritually connect with God. We want to help people do that. We want to make it easy. We want God to be accessible for every person who wants to have a relationship with God. The second part of making disciples, the first part is evangelism. The second part is discipleship. That's about helping people grow as followers of Christ. Um, Helping them, the way we say it at the bridge, is helping them develop into a fully devoted follower of Christ. Um, Every person who calls themselves a follower of Christ is to grow spiritually. And as they follow Christ, one of uh, what God wants to accomplish in their lives is to conform them to the image of Christ, to become like Jesus. That is um, God's plan, and we just call it discipleship. By the, by the way, discipleship is the word itself is not in the Bible. It's just the word that we use. It means to help people grow. Um, and then the bridge mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. I think that's really simple. It, I don't know if it seems complicated, but I think it's real simple. We want to help people. By the way, we live in a helping community. It's primarily, it's a large medical community. And we, we have a lot of people in our community. Are, it's a helping community. And that's what we want it to be, is in a helping community, helping people come into a relationship with God to connect spiritually. Um, I came to faith in Jesus Christ at the age of 25. I went through normal training of my church. I, I kind of grew up going, I was streakish in going to church. Some of you can identify with that. We, our family got into streaks and then we pulled back for months at a time. I went through confirmation because that's what my family did. That's what my church did. And I went through it with honors. And you know what? I was spiritually sensitive when I went through it. But I did not find Jesus Christ through two years of meeting every week and memorizing scripture and memorizing the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. I did not find Jesus. Um, and that's, I, I, I find that pretty, pretty sad. Um, I did have a thick skull. I still have a thick skull, but I wish somebody could have made it simple for me. Um, the process... Uh, that's, you know, helping people connect. Somebody could have just, okay, Jerry, here, here's what you need to do. Jesus died for you. He paid, paid for all of your sins, and he's got one thing he wants you to do. Not 100, not 25, not six. One, will you trust Jesus who died on the cross for you? That's it. Don't do anything else. If, if he'd have just, just said that to me when I was in eighth grade, it would have saved me about 11 years. Okay. Next, the process of disciple-making includes baptizing those who are followers of Christ. The process of disciple-making includes those who are followers of Christ. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, or 19, Therefore, go and make disciples. As you go, when you go, since you are going, make disciples of all nations. So it's not just here in Eau Claire, but it's extended throughout the world. 
baptizing them. That has the force of a verbal command. Baptizing them. Make disciples. Make the disciple first. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. This is Christian baptized. The first time Christian baptism is mentioned in the Bible. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is Lord. It is the desire of Jesus that every follower of Christ be baptized. Okay? Um, Next, the goal of disciple-making is full obedience to Christ. Matthew 28, 19, go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, there we go, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commanded his disciples, this is to the church, to teach uh, his followers, disciples, a disciple is a learner, to teach them to obey everything. Now, what happens in Christianity? This is what happens in the church today. We get this idea of being a good Christian, and we think this means uh, teach them to be good Christians, and he doesn't say that. You know, this is not a C-plus here. Jesus wanted A-plus. Teach them to obey everything. Now, I'm talking about I'm not going to be perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect, but that's the goal. You know, we don't just stop because we're C+. Plus. You know, I found out right after I became a follower of Christ. I was an atheist. I was far from God. Boy, you would have said, "He, you need Jesus. And Jesus changed my life. And I, you know, there were a lot of things I stopped doing that I was doing before. And people could say, hey, you're different here. You used to do these things. You know, you're a different person. But I soon learned that I could talk like a Christian. I could walk like a Christian. I could act like a Christian. I could, I could, if they asked me to pray in public, I could stand up and pray. And, uh, you know, if they told us to turn to a Bible verse, you know how they used to do it in church where, okay, turn to Matthew 28. You know, it was like, how fast can we get there? And it's like the faster you go, the more mature you are. And if you can't find it, you probably are far from God because you're, you haven't been reading your Bible. And um, I could do that. You know, I learned that stuff, but I found out, you know, there's a lot of people are just kind of in this category of good Christians. They like to be together. They hang out together. They're nice people, but man, they're not advancing the kingdom. They're just hanging out in circles and having a good time. That's not the goal. Teach them to obey everything. So the point here is baptism is not optional for a follower of Christ. It's commanded. It's the verbal form. Jesus gave these instructions. Make disciples, baptize them. Um, by the way, how do we teach at the bridge? Well, Sunday morning is about teaching. Uh, the role of the pastor in Ephesians four eleven and 12 is to equip believers to follow Christ and to serve. And another way that we do this is through our growth groups. We want to apply scripture in a community of other followers of Christ. So that's why we want you to be in a growth group, uh, to be to be in a group where you're talking about Scripture, you're talking about your walk with God, you're praying for each other. That helps us apply Scripture. We're not perfect. We're just in this together. We're just walking, taking one step at a time. Sometimes we have one-to-one discipling. Sometimes we have small groups of developing leaders. So those are the, the, some of the ways. We're not asking you to come to 25 different classes. We want you to be Sunday morning in a growth group, and we want you to serve to become 
more like Jesus. Secondly, baptism should take place after a person's conversion to Christ. Uh, Jesus instituted this. Guys, I know it's a little bit warm in here. I wish it weren't as warm as it is. We only have to be here one week. I'm not even sure they have air conditioning in this room. Uh, Because I know some of the rooms don't have air conditioning. And I don't think they'd turn it on for us anyway. So, Okay, I'm going to talk about a controversial passage. I'm going to go right to the heart of it. Mark 16, 16. This is a controversial passage. These are the words of Jesus. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And so there are some people who take this. And I was instructed that if, uh, since I was baptized as an infant, that was the baptism part of this. And then one day I should believe and then I would be saved, and that would fulfill Mark 16, 16. But that's, Jesus didn't leave that open. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus is saying this is not about baptism. This is about believing. It's a person who doesn't believe will be condemned. Jesus Christ said that. Now, if this were the only passage in the Bible that taught about how to get to heaven... I would include baptism with salvation. But this is not the only passage. There are many passages like John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, including baptism, lest any man should boast. Okay? I have believed, I have been baptized, and I am saved. That's a true statement. And um, it's not about baptism saving me. Baptism isn't a step that saves me. Baptism is something, and we're going to look at this, baptism is something we do to follow Christ. In fact, Jesus intended it to be like the very first step we take as a follower of Christ. Because there's so much confusion today, people put it off. And it's easy to make it an excuse because, hey, geez, there's so much confusion out there. And I was taught something different. But in the early church, you came to faith. Okay, get baptized. Okay. I came to faith. I was baptized as an infant. I came to faith at the age of 25. That was in September. The first baptism our church had was in December. So I was baptized as a follower of Christ at the age of 25. Um. So um, the New Testament models this, that uh, a person gets baptized after their conversion to Christ. Acts uh, 2.38, verse A, uh, the first part of 38. Now let me give you a little context here. Acts 2 is a fantastic story. Peter, the fraidy cat, you know, the guy who denied Jesus three times, he was scared to death. I would have been like Peter. I would have been scared to death the night they... they arrested Jesus, and then he was crucified Friday. I would have been scared to death. Peter went into hiding. He got over it. He met Jesus after Easter Sunday. Jesus was resurrected. Oh, everything Jesus said is true. Oh. And, and Peter, Jesus said, Peter, I want you and the disciples to uh, hang out in the upper room, and I want you to pray, and about 120 of them did until Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and Peter was a different guy. 
And he stood up in Jerusalem where they crucified Jesus Christ, where they could have arrested Peter on the spot, thrown him in jail, and crucified him. Peter preached a very powerful sermon about Jesus. And he said, repent and be baptized. He said, turn to God through faith and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Please see the order. Repent, then be baptized. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 41. Next, next verse. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They accepted his message by faith. They received his message by faith, and they were baptized. See the order? They believed. This is, how, this is the very first church. No church ever existed before this group right here. Please notice they started as a megachurch, 3,000. God is not opposed to big churches. God is not for small churches more than big churches. God just wants people to make disciples, whether they're large or small. Some big churches aren't that great, and some small churches aren't that great either, okay? It's not about big or it's not about the size. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip, Philip was an evangelist in the book of Acts, as he preached the good news, the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again, the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Preached the good news, they believed, they were baptized. Both men and women. So it's not a, it's not a male thing, it's a men and women thing. Simon himself believed and was baptized. That's the order. They believed and they were baptized. Acts 16, 31 through 33. This is Paul and Silas with the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas had been in prison. God opened the, the gate of the prison uh, of his cell. And you know, a jailer would have been put to death on the spot for letting a prisoner escape. Uh, the jailer said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This was the answer. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. The command is to believe. That's how you get saved. To believe you and your household. It's not you believe and your household gets saved. It's you believe and your household believes you will be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, it wasn't 10 years later, immediately he and all his family were baptized. And one of the questions there that people ask, well, what if there were babies there? That's called an argument from silence. They believed and they were they were baptized. Um, okay, let's keep going. Baptism is an outward picture of an inner spiritual reality. An outward picture of an inner spiritual reality. This is our last point. I have a lot to say about it. First of all, the Greek word to baptize literally means to immerse, to dip, or to dunk. If you take a Greek lexicon and you look up the Greek word baptizo, which is in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It means to immerse. It means to dip. And we would just say dunk. That's what it means. Um, the word bapt- 
baptize did not exist in the English language until 1611. Because there was a debate going in the Church of England in 1611 when King James ordered the Bible to be translated into English, there was a debate. Some in the Church of England believed that you should baptize infants and you should sprinkle. Some in the Church of England believed you should baptize believers and you should immerse. So the translators of the King James Version, that's the version with the these and the thous, created a new English word. They transliterated, they took the Greek beta, made a B, the Greek alpha, made an A, the the pi, made a P, they created the word to baptize, okay? Because they didn't want to take sides. So Matthew 28, 19 and 20 could be translated, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is an accurate translation of that text, okay? Um, The practice, next, the practice of baptism in the book of Acts was by immersion. So that's how the early church practiced in the book of Acts. If you want the story of the early church, you find it in the book of Acts. This is what happened. Okay, Acts 8, verses 30 through 38. Then Philip, Philip the evangelist, ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. This is what we would call a divine appointment. Any of you ever had a divine appointment where God just opened your eyes right in front of you to find somebody who was searching for answers? They... They just wanted to know, and they were ready to hear, and they were ready to place their faith in Christ. This is exactly what happened to Philip. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So God orchestrated these events so that Philip could explain to the Ethiopian eunuch. By the way, this is an Ethiopian guy. He's an African. This is very early in the book of Acts. It's going to go to Africa right off the bat. Um. So, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Next, next slide. The eunuch was, by the way, I'm sorry that he was a eunuch. There's only one way you become a eunuch. And this guy served uh, over a harem. And it was costly. Uh, the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. This is Isaiah 53. So Philip is going to tell us who this is about. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb, the lamb of God, before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth at his own trial. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? Jesus didn't have any kids. He had spiritual descendants. For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who was a prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip says Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. Next slide. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Um, this would be like the Jordan River. Um, he went down into the water. 
That's the way John the Baptist baptized at the Jordan River. This was the most common place in the New Testament where people got baptized. And they didn't go there to get sprinkled. Because the word means to immerse. Okay? That's all I wanted you to see. Let's go on. Uh, Jesus' baptism was by immersion. Matthew 3.16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. I don't think he got sprinkled there. Since it means immersion. He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Um. Let me just uh, throw my two cents in about sprinkling. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament covenant, covenant, sprinkling was a sign of cleansing. They sprinkled with blood and sometimes with water. Ceremonially, sprinkling to cleanse could be utensils used at the temple. And this idea of sprinkling has been carried to baptism. Now, sometimes it's, it can be kind of practical if there were... There were uh, Roman soldiers dying in England who wanted to be baptized, and on their deathbed, they sprinkled them because they couldn't carry them to water. They couldn't get to water. But the main idea in baptism is immersion. And then the whole infant thing in the Old Testament, there was a sign of the Old Covenant, and it was circumcision. I won't explain that in detail, but it was for male children Eight days old. In the New Testament, the sign of the new covenant is baptism. Some churches have superimposed that onto infants. That's not what happens in uh, the Bible, not, not what happens in the book of Acts. Now, watch this. There is no evidence, D, anywhere in the Bible that an infant was ever baptized or that anyone was sprinkled for baptism. No evidence in the Bible. So you're using something outside of the Bible to explain it. The biblical concept of baptism is identification with Christ. This is where we get the picture of baptism. Identification. We identify with Christ. Remember Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. I now live by faith. Um. I've been crucified. That's called co-crucifixion of the believer. It's a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. Romans 6, 3, and 4. Here's what Paul said. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? There's a spiritual picture. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Identification with Christ. When I place my faith in Christ, God did the work of salvation in my life. And that includes dying with Christ and being buried with Christ and being raised to a new life. Being born again. That's what it means to be born again. Created in Christ Jesus. Created to be something new. Okay? That's a spiritual reality. Water baptism pictures that reality. Death burial, and resurrection. Death. It's, it's a picture going into the water. Death and burial. Coming out of the water. It's a picture of being raised to a new life. Spiritually clean before God. It's a picture. It does not save. It's something you do to obey Jesus because he is uh, 
the Lord. Asian Access, also called A2, is a Christian, Christian missions agency, agency in South Asia. When people get baptized, they ask a, a believer seven questions before they can be baptized. The, the country that th- these questions are asked to is predominantly Hindu, and Christianity is now growing in popularity. Here's the first question. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father, lose the blessing of your parents? That's a question that's asked. That's discipleship. Jesus said, he comes before your family. Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to put Jesus ahead of your job? Are you, are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you and forgive them and share the love of Christ with them. It's about forgiving your enemies and loving your enemies. Jesus covered all that, didn't he? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? This is just New Testament Christianity. Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Wow. Jesus first. Are you willing to go to prison? Jesus first. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Total identification with Christ. Not my will but your will. Um, If the new convert answers yes to all of these questions, then A2 leaders invite that person to sign on the bottom of that paper that it's their own free will. They've decided to follow Jesus. But there is a risk. If a new convert signs the paper and is caught by the government, it's jail for three years. If you lead a person to Christ and you're caught by the government, it's jail for six years. So, what are you willing to do to advance the kingdom of God? When you think about the Great Commission, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. If you had to just rate yourself right now, zero to ten. Zero being you're way away from God, and ten is you're fully devoted follower of Christ. Where would you mark yourself? Just you. Nobody else knows. And then one of the things, just a practical application, Jesus has commanded that every follower of Christ be baptized. If you're a follower of Christ and you've not been baptized as a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage you to think about it seriously. Someday you're going to do this. Let's stand together and pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we are humbled by the command that Jesus has given to the church to obey everything that he's commanded. And God, we acknowledge that as a church, that's, that's what we are to be about. That's what we should be doing. And I think many of us would say that's what we want to do. Lord, I pray that you would have freedom to work in our hearts to do what you want. And I would just, you know, ask every person here to, Reflect and say, what does God want me to do? 
for Jesus' sake. Amen.